Good morning, Encounter Church. It is so great to be here with you this morning. As Zach said, I'm so glad that you've made it all here safely in this winter wonderland that we've been so blessed with here in West Michigan. I mean, what an unreal amount of snow. Even as someone who grew up in Canada, that was a lot of snow, I gotta say. Uh, but I appreciate it. I love the, the nice snow out there. So I'm glad you're here. My name's Dylan Harper. For those of you that don't know me, some of you might remember me as Encounter's favorite Canadian intern. Um, you know, I'm still kind of that guy, but more recently I've also been serving as the team lead for our prayer ministry here at Encounter Church. Um, I also pop up in some other places because I just love to serve, and one of those places is that I get to be a part of the, play a small role in the preaching team here at church. So uh, it's great to be here with you this morning, whether you're here at Kentwood, whether you are up at Fulton Heights, we see you out there, even those that chose to stay home today in the comfort of their home. Uh, we're just glad that you're worshiping with us this morning, and I'm glad to worship with y'all. So we're going to dive right in this morning. We are in part two of our series called No Flaw Too Far, where we're digging into the book of Judges, looking at this anti-hero named Samson, which Pastor Dirk introduced us to last week with somewhat of an origin story. And so we're excited about what we're going to learn from Samson today. But I want to start with sharing a little bit uh, about myself. Some of you know that my family and I moved here about two years ago uh, from the Great White North, which is really just about six hours east, so really it's not much different than here. Uh, but we moved here for two reasons, one of which was to be a part of this community. We felt God calling us to be a part of the encounter community so that we can serve together and grow together, becoming the people that God has called us to be. But also we felt God calling us here for me to carry on with my education as I'm in my last year of my MDiv up at Calvin Theological Seminary. Now, one of the wise things we did before we moved here was we signed a rental agreement. I'm sure you're familiar with some of those things. Um, to stay at an apartment on campus up at Calvin. Now, with that rental agreement came some very strict boundaries. Some of which were uh, these words right here. No pets allowed. I'm sure some of you are familiar with those. If you don't have pets, it's not a big deal. Well, for my family and I, uh, there's three of us, myself, my wife, Jessica, my daughter, Brooklyn, uh, but we actually consider ourselves a family of four because of this little critter right here behind me. So we consider ourselves a family of four because, well, church, let me introduce to you uh, Princess Tinkerbell Meowington III. And yes, her name does suit her character. She is a princess. She is royalty, as you can see. I can hardly find a picture of her where she's not uh, on top of one of us because she kind of runs uh, the household at, at home here. Uh, she's a cutie, though. I call her Stinkerbell. Uh, you can call her Tinkerbell if you want. Uh, but we are a family of four because of this cat. And I mean, most of us with pets, I mean, these are essential members of our family, right? Whether you've got a hamster or a cat or a dog, or maybe you've got a couple bunnies that have somehow taken over your entire basement. I mean, whatever it is, you know that you would go to the ends of the earth and back to protect this essential member of your family. And that's kind of what we did, you see. We were headed towards international borders. We packed up that U-Haul. We knew what we were doing. We knew that we were pushing the limits of the boundaries outlined in our rental agreement by bringing this critter with us, this beautiful critter. But you know, we aren't the only ones that have done something like this. There was once a gentleman in New York City, lived right downtown in Harlem in a small apartment, who also pushed the limits of the boundaries outlined in his rental agreement when he welcomed a cat into his home. But his cat looked a little bit different than your average domesticated house cat. His cat looked a little bit like this right here. That's right. This cat was a little cute baby Bengal tiger cat. You see, boundaries are placed in our lives for a reason. 
I mean, you could tell me right now, there are plenty of reasons why uh, this gentleman, Antoine Yates, should not have welcomed this cat into his New York City apartment. And I think if we're willing to be honest with ourselves this morning, like really honest, like just cut out all the nonsense and just look deep into our lives, we will... We can admit that we probably all have a little cute baby Bengal tiger inside of our lives somewhere. Because we know where the healthy boundary lines fall in our lives. Yet we push those limits. We push the boundaries until we eventually cross them. Often quoting the the line of one of my generation's favorite princesses of pop. Oops, I did it again. Over and over and over again, we we enter into these cycles where we push the limits of these boundaries. And that's what we're talking about this morning, boundaries. And whether it's, you know, civil boundaries with kind of like some legal stuff, whether it's moral boundaries, it could be spiritual boundaries, it could be social boundaries. God is the one who has created all these boundaries in our lives, and he's done so for a good reason. In the book of Psalms, one of the authors says that boundary lines have fallen for us in pleasant places. Because these are meant to be good for us. But we push them. We push the limits of these boundaries. And one of the things I want to just highlight is that, you know, not all the boundaries that we push the limits of, they're not like inherently bad and evil. But what happens is we push them, and then when we cross them, we actually welcome and and invite unnecessary chaos and destruction and suffering into our lives, into the lives of many others around us. And I believe this actually starts at a very young Age. You might remember this scene from when you were a child, anywhere from the ages of four up to who knows, almost teenagers, but you know, you've been hanging around the house on a Sunday morning, and now you're at the dinner table, you know, waiting for mom or dad to bring out that hot piping dish that's been cooking inside the oven all afternoon. It's probably like a, a green bean casserole, you know, and as soon as mom or dad brings that out, mom looks you right in the eye and says, now be careful, that dish is hot. Well, as a child, you start going, well, how... How hot is, I wonder what mom means by how hot hot is. So you put your hand a little bit closer to it, you can kind of feel the heat off, and you think, well, you know, how hot could it really be? And of, of course, next thing you know, you've got tears rolling down your eyes because you've touched it, and you've got a little swell, a little burn on your finger. We've all been there before, right? Kids are notorious for pushing the limits of boundaries. It's almost as if, like, when a child knows where a boundary is, once they become aware of it, it's like they receive this handwritten invitation to, oh, I'll push the limits of this boundary and see how far I can go. And what starts as often cute little innocent baby Bengal tiger begins to grow and mature as we grow and mature and those boundaries become a little more serious and the consequences on the other side of them become a little more serious. So next thing you know you've got preteens pushing the boundaries of dare I say screen time. Okay, one of the biggest problems in our world right now. And, you know, when I was younger, one of the ways that I pushed screen time uh, was I would get up about, you know, half an hour earlier than my parents on a Sunday morning, go turn on the TV and watch the Three Stooges. And I apologize if I'm aging myself here this morning. For those of you that don't have any idea who that is, feel free to Google that later and it might give you an idea of how old I am. But that was the idea of pushing the limits of screen time where today, I'll be honest, you can't even hide from those limits because almost every single person in this room has a phone in their pocket. And at some point this morning or today, it could even be during this worship time, you're going to get a notification that's going to show you that dreadful weekly screen time report. The kind of report that just makes your stomach churn. Because you look at it, you see the numbers, and you realize, oops, I've done it again. I've pushed the limits of what's healthy in my life for screen time. And it's, it could be hours and hours and hours, and you're just blown away by the fact that, once again, you have pushed those limits. But this grows. 
Next thing you know, you're a teenager and you're pushing the limits of, of speed limits. And on a weekend like the one we've just had, if, if you're pushing those boundaries, well, that could have fatal consequences for you or for others. And then once you get your license and you start going out to pushing the limits of curfews, you know, going to parties, going, going on dates, next thing you know, you're a young adult and you don't even have any parental guidance because you're off at some foreign land at a school and you're, you're pushing the limits even farther, going to parties, staying out later. Next thing you know, you're, you're hanging out with your boyfriend and your, or your girlfriend and you start pushing the limits of romantic exploration. And I'll just kind of leave that one there off the side for you to think about that, for those of you that know what I'm talking about. And this grows. What was once a cute little baby Bengal tiger continues to grow in our lives. And then all of a sudden you enter in this stage of life that a lot of us are in this adulting type mode, which, you know, if that's where you are, kudos to you, because there's a, a lot of plates to balance when we're adults. But if you've not yet figured out where those boundary lines fall for you in pleasant places, I can almost guarantee you there's an HR department at your workplace that can happily point out where those healthy, safe, relational boundaries are with you and your coworkers. Or maybe it's the person that sits behind the desk all day and, and calls numbers and is waiting to call you to let you know where that boundary line has fallen for you with your visa card or, or the loan that you've taken out that you're now behind on payments with. Or maybe it's those bl blue and red lights flashing in your rearview mirror after you've spent a couple hours at your local watering hole and now you've left knowing very well that you've had one too many Moscow mules on a Tuesday night. You see, we know where these boundary lines fall for us in pleasant places. We know where they are, and yet we choose to push their limits and thus invite chaos and destruction and suffering into our lives. And I want you to know here this morning, I'm not here to point out flaws. I'm not here to judge anybody. I'm not the morality police. What you do on your own time is between you and God. But what I care about is the person that God's created you to be, the person that honors those boundary lines, and this morning, what I want to do is offer some spiritual guidance on how we can learn from God's word through the life of Samson, how we can be transformed by his word, that you'll leave here, you know, recognizing something about the boundaries in your life that will transform your life so that you can continue growing into the people that God has created you to be. People that only say, oops, I did it again, when they're singing their favorite pop song on the drive home from work. And this brings us to Samson, this beloved anti-hero that we heard a little bit about already last week. Samson is someone who had a very similar relationship with boundaries that we do. Someone that we're going to learn a little bit from today on, on what not to do. And so we're going to jump right in back into his story. We're going to be in Judges 14, starting in verse 5. So if you have a phone with you, you know, we are a phone-friendly church, so feel free to pull that out and track along. It's always helpful when you've got the text right in front of you. Uh, it will also be on the screen behind me here this morning. So we are in Judges 14, starting in verse 5. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, Suddenly, a young lion came roaring toward him. Okay, I know you're all already focused and almost distracted by this whole lion thing, okay? So let's just pump the brakes and we're going to get to the lion in a second. But first, there's two things we need to see here. One, where is Samson going? Two, why is he going there? You may have noticed that the place he's going is called Timnah. And that Timnah is actually referenced twice 
in this first verse. And I've said it again, and I'll continually say it, that whenever God says two words in one verse or, you know, repeats words, he's like trying to scream at us to pay attention to this detail because it's important for the context of what he's trying to teach us. And he even goes as far as giving us a little hint in one of the verses, that, uh, the, sec- the, the verse where he mentions Timna the second time. He says that they were approaching the vineyards of Timna. Okay? Timna was known for, known for something. It was known for its rich soil, for its luxurious vineyards. I mean, church, this is wine country. Samson is headed towards wine country. And perhaps you recall last week when Pastor Dirk shared the sort of origin story about Samson. He introduced us to this thing called the Nazarite vow. Something that Samson was born into is his parents consecrated their son to the Lord because God had called Samson out, given him a special calling. And God's like, there's three boundaries that your son cannot cross, should not cross. And one of those was that he could not consume anything related to grapes, any grape products, right? Which begs the question, then why? Why is Samson going to a place that is only known for that one thing? Seems there's some lack of wisdom there, perhaps. But I think you'll understand once you, understand, once you hear why he's going there. He's going there for a girl. Sometimes, you know, people do extreme things. They go to places they shouldn't go for the wrong reasons. And so he's entering into Timna, this dangerously tempting territory, territory because, well, he saw a girl there that he wanted to meet. He thought maybe he liked her. So here he is. He brings his parents with him because he wants to meet her. He wants them to meet her. And then suddenly, a lion comes roaring out in front of him. And there's a reason why this might grab your attention when we first re- read that verse. You see, there's some really, really, really smart people in this world. People that will forget more information than I will ever learn. People that study God's word and go dig so deep and they cross-reference with like every historical account they can find. And they've come to an agreement that they believe this lion jumping out and roaring at him is actually a divine message from God. And he used this lion. God used this lion as a divine messenger to try to get Samson to turn around. I mean, think about it. If a lion jumped out in front of you, what are you going to do? You're going to run the opposite direction as quickly as you can. But no. Samson does not interpret this divine message that way. So instead, God shows up. Verse 6. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands, as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. That was just... Try to imagine that for a second. I'm a pretty logical, rational guy. And when I read this and I think about Samson tearing this line apart, I mean, I'm like, ah, you know, I so want to believe it, right? And this is no way I'm not questioning God's authority, but like, I'm the kind of guy, it's like, I'll believe it when I see it sort of a thing, right? And I just, it's hard to imagine this guy tearing this line apart in two. But with God, nothing is impossible, but there's a unique sort of element that happens here. Maybe you picked up on it. All of a sudden, his parents are gone. Like they're traveling together from Zora, the place that they were from, to Timna, which is only about an hour walk. You know, it's not that long. And all of a sudden, this Ryan comes lowering out behind, in front of him, and boom, his parents must have kind of like just dipped out into the local 7-Eleven to grab themselves a big gulp or buy some lottery tickets for the Mega Million jackpot or something like that. I mean, we, we don't really know where they go. It's kind of a, a unique situation, but... The fact remains the same. What happens 
what happens. Samson, a flawed individual, pushing the limits of his boundaries. Well, God still uses him. God shows up and gives him the ability to have this supernatural strength to just grab this line, tear it apart, and then he just kind of washes his hands and carries on with his journey. And his parents meet back up with him. He doesn't tell anybody. He doesn't flaunt it. Nobody except for him and God knows that this moment happened. And there's something there that we'll, we'll come back to here in a little bit. But then he heads down to Timnah. He gets there. He meets this woman. He talks to her. And what do you know? He likes her. Big surprise, right? And it's bad enough that Timnah is in wine country, a place he shouldn't be going. But what I failed to tell you is that Timnah is also in enemy territory. Timnah is a Philistine region. This woman is a Philistine. I mean, they are the enemies of the Israelites. They are the enemies of Samson. This is kind of like a, a state versus U of M kind of situation. There's a lot of friction. There's a lot of hostility. There's a lot of mistrust between these two people groups. Which begs the question again, you know, not only why is he going to a place he shouldn't be going, but why is he going to try to find a girl that he shouldn't be interested in at all? Is there not enough Israelites for him to choose from that he has to go to the enemy camp to try to find himself a wife? And the thing is, God was very clear back in those days. You know, Israelites should not be trying to engage in a a marital situation with non-Israelites. And this doesn't even have anything to do with, with Samson's personal Nazarite vow. This was just one of these overarching kind of covenant boundaries that God had created for all of his chosen people. That they shouldn't be marrying outside of their, their people group, their race, their ethnicity, whatever you want to call it. And we might be a little more familiar with that concept today when we read the words of Paul. When he wrote to the church in Corinth and said that we shouldn't be unequally yoked. Which means that a Christian shouldn't really ideally marry a non-Christian. But you and I both know that that does happen more often than not. But Samson here, he he continues pushing these boundaries. He's, He's letting this little baby Bengal tiger grow in his life. And it's getting bigger and bigger. So we see him continue to push the boundaries here. Let's jump back into verse 8. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her... He turned, aside, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass, and in it he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. So Samson proposes to this woman. Obviously she says yes, so he goes home to tie up some loose ends, maybe, you know, break up with some other girls. Who who knows what he's doing, right? But then he comes back, and we don't know the time limit, but it probably wasn't very long. And on his way back, lo and behold, he comes across the line that he had killed with his bare hands. And this is a really interesting thing. You don't, this isn't something you're going to see at the side of the I-96 with some of those deers that are like napping there. They're just having a long sleep, okay? This is a little bit different. But if you're at all interested in like animals and like zoology, you might really appreciate this little tidbit of information. So what, what happened back then was that there were like a lot of scavengers around, like jackals and, and uh, you know, vultures and ants. And they basically do what they're designed to do. And they consumed this carcass, right? They consumed this lion to the point where there's nothing left but kind of like an empty shell. And in those times, it was so hot that the heat would dehydrate this carcass so quickly that it would kind of form like this sort of safe haven, this little like empty shell where the bees then found it, and they were able to just kind of start building a a hive, a safe and secure hive in there. So not something you're probably going to see today, but kind of a, a cool, unique feature here. But what we see is, well, Samson, 
He's obviously hungry because, you know, this hour-long walk is just such a big journey, you know. Um, And so he sees this honey in the line that he killed, and he just sticks his hand right in there, grabs some, and munches away and takes some, you know, back to Tim then. He gives some to his parents. He doesn't tell them where he got it from. But, But here's the thing. He's no longer just pushing the boundaries of his limits. He's now crossed right over it, completely disregarding his Nazarite vow, this thing we keep hearing about. There were three distinct features, three distinct boundaries that God said, Samson shall not push the boundaries of and cross. The first we've already talked about, the grapes. Cannot consume anything to do with grapes. The second one is that no razor shall touch the top of his head, meaning that he couldn't get a haircut, which would kind of suck in those days because it was pretty hot. And having a lot of hair in that hot, hot heat uh, just probably isn't super pleasant. But you're going to hear a whole bunch more about that next week when Pastor Dirk's back and he's going to share a message with us called Hey There, Delilah. Uh, You don't want to miss it. It's going to be fantastic. But the third feature of this distinct boundaries that he could not cross was that he could not have anything to do. He could not go near even anything unclean. That means corpses. And God wasn't differential. He didn't care whether it was a human or an animal. Nothing unclean. He could not defy himself by touching or going near anything unclean. Well, pretty sure a dead lion carcass is an unclean thing. And he just sticks his hand right in there. I mean, it's like Samson champions this idea of pushing these boundaries and crossing them. And and in so doing, he invites this chaos, this destruction, and, and ultimately this suffering into his life. And here's what happens next. He gets back to Timnah. And as it is a common practice in the ancient Near East, uh, they would host a big, huge party, like a wedding feast for people that were going to get married. And this wasn't just like your average, you know, three-hour kind of reception-type wedding feast. This was a seven-day all-out party. This is like Y2K all over again, okay? Like, they're pulling out all the bells, all the whistles, all the stops. And seven days represents completion, the number seven represents completion. So that's kind of the idea. Like, they complete this sort of party, and then they, they you know, get married. And so in this party, remember those people I mentioned that were, like, really, really smart that have, like, you know, forgotten more stuff than I'll ever remember? Well, they've come into an agreement that although in the text it doesn't explicitly say, it's hard to imagine that Samson would attend and basically host a seven-day feast in wine country and not have a sip of wine. Would you agree? which means that he's probably violated that element of the boundaries of his Nazarite vow as well, right? So he's just crossing all the boundaries here. But what was also common practice in these wedding feasts is that they would do things for entertainments, some of which would include riddles. And so when he got there, being the guy he was, who was potentially big in stature, someone that kind of had some stories told about him, the enemies, the Philistines, they knew who he was. So what they did in their wisdom was they assigned 30 people, 30 companions, 30 bodyguards, technically, to kind of be his groomsmen. To sort of be there in case, you know, all of a sudden that, that Samson light switch got turned on and he just went haywire and started killing everybody because that's what he was kind of known for, Right? So they give him these 30 guys to be his companions, to be his best men. So he offers this riddle to these companions. And here's what this riddle says. He says, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. You might recognize some of those, that language there. He's, He's talking about something that only he knew about. That lion that he killed that nobody saw. The, the honey that he ate out of it that nobody saw. And that's why his parents weren't there. Okay? 
And so what he did with this riddle is he thought he would sweeten the deal, which statistically the odds were in his favor. So he said to these 30 guys, he says like, listen, if you guys can get this riddle, what, I'm, what I'll do for you is I will provide for you 30 new outfits, 30 brand new linen clothes. Like he's talking like, you know, I'm going to get you the Air Force Ones or the Jordans. I'll, I'll get you a new starter cap, maybe like a Gucci belt. I'll just like fit you up so that you can just like flex on everybody looking like a million bucks, right? 30 of them. That's what he said he'll do to them if they get the riddle. But if they don't get the riddle, he's like, no, no, no. You guys are going to provide me with a month's worth of clothes. And, you know, you're all going to provide me with 30 outfits as well. So, I mean, the odds are pretty good for Samson that he's going he's to kind of, you know, be fruitful from this wager. But things don't quite go like that. See what happens after a few days. They have no idea what the answer to this riddle is. And they're frustrated and they start getting angry. And they realize, well, what's the best way to get to him? Through the woman that he's about to marry. So they start to pester her. They start to apply some pressure on her to the, to the point where they threaten her life. They threaten her family's life and say that if you don't find out the answer to this riddle for us, we're, we're going to murder you and your family. And so, of course, she's like, well, what other choice do I have? So she goes and she, you know, does her magic. She just seduces him. She puts on the, wire, the water work. She does everything in her power to get the answer from Samson. And sure enough, as we know Samson, he gives in. He gives her the answer to the riddle. Um, and, well, she takes that information, she gives it to them, they come back to her, or they come back to him with the answer. And this is where we pick the text back up in verse 18. Before sunset on the seventh day, the final day, the men of the town said to him, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Samson said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. I heard somebody laugh over here. Let's pause here for a second. I'm going to offer a quick little word of wisdom that someone offered me, especially to the men here. Never, ever, never, ever call your wife, your daughter, your mother, any female a heifer, ever, okay? Just, just remember that. Never, ever refer to a female as a heifer. Now, that's not what Samson's doing here. He's not calling his, you know, bride-to-be, his wife, a heifer. What he's doing is he's speaking somewhat metaphorically. You see, a heifer is a female cattle. And you never plow the fields with a female cattle because the female cattle was only good for two things, for procreation and for beef, for eating. Okay, never would you plow with a female cattle. So what he's saying is because you Philistines, because you did something that you should have not done, you, I mean, they crossed boundaries as well. They, they went and they infiltrated his bride-to-be to get the answer. And so he's pissed. And this is kind of the, the way that he's, you know, sharing that anger. That, you know, had you not applied with my heifer, you would have not solved the riddle. But they did. And then what do you know? An echo of a previous verse, a previous moment. God shows up. Verse 19. Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home. And Samson's wife was given to one of his companions who had attended him at the feast. We see things don't end super well for Samson here at the end of his seven day wedding feast. A feast that should have been just this grandiose celebration that ends with the consummation of a, of a marriage fit to be, you know. But it doesn't end that way. He invites this chaos, this destruction into his life. And I mean, he, he faithfully and honorably still fulfills his end of the bets of the gamble that he made, you know, 
However, he does it quite savagely. As the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, he goes down and he kills 30 of their own people to then provide those new fits. So, you know, chances are he probably wasn't giving them those Air Jordans or those starter caps. But Samson is someone who's lived somewhat recklessly. His life just tailspins. It's, it's a hot mess. He almost lives as if the boundaries in his life are against him by inviting this unnecessary chaos and suffering into his life. You see, earlier this week, I had kind of this, this divine moment. I was hanging out with some of the staff here, and we were talking about boundaries in our lives, and just so happens, one of them shared with me a quote they'd heard, and that person actually is Robin. Y'all know her. She's an awesome person. She's our group's coordinator here, and she's like, I got to share this with you, because I just feel like it's, it's, it's meant for you, you know? And this, uh, this podcast she was listening to from the Bible Project, a gentleman named Tim Mackey, some of you might know, he shared this quote, and he wasn't even explicitly talking about Samson, but I got to tell you, I kind of wish he was, because he just hits the, he- the nail on the head. And this is a good word for us here this morning. Here, here's what he had to say. To choose to live outside of the boundaries God has set is to embrace chaos and our own demise. I mean, that's, that's a good word. I, I wish I had to come up with that, to be honest with you. But I felt like I, I had to share it. Because God was speaking to me through this podcast that she had been listening to. And you know, this is a word that I'll bet Samson wished he had known back then. It's a word that I'll bet Antoine Yates wished he had heard before he welcomed that baby Bengal tiger into his New York City apartment too. Because that thing grew and that boundary that he pushed became more and more dangerous. And it eventually ended up looking a little bit something like this right here. See, these boundaries that we push, they grow into something fierce. They grow into something a lot more consequential. Because, well, as you can tell, a a 425-pound Bengal tiger cat is not meant to be domesticated. It wasn't designed, created to live that way in the confines of an apartment. Okay, and these, these boundaries that we push, I mean, whether it's civil boundaries, whether it's moral boundaries, spiritual, social, God has created them for us for good. And you see, this boundary that Antoine Yates puts, well, pushes, well, he paid the, the price for it. You know, you're probably not surprised when I tell you that the lion, the tiger did eventually turn on him. It did attack him. Not fatally, thank goodness, but it created enough damage that when he went to the doctors, uh, they realized this was not from your average domesticated house cat or dog. Okay, and they, they alerted the authorities, and that's where we get this picture as a you know, police officer rappelling down a side of a building so he could safely tranquilize this tiger. And the story does end well. The tiger ends up being saved, going to a nice safe haven, lived in captivity for the rest of its life, lived a good life. And fortunately for Antoine Yates, uh, the worst of his consequences was he was banned from ever owning a pet ever again because what he did was just not appropriate at all. It wasn't safe for him. It wasn't safe for others. And so if you're taking notes here this morning, I want want you to write something down. This is kind of our our big idea, our big takeaway, because if you you hear anything today, this is the thing that I I want you to walk away with and and keep in your mind. And, And we here believe that a sharp a uh, dull pencil is better than a sharp mind when it comes to remembering God's truth. So if you've got to even text it to yourself or something, just write this down and remember this simple truth here this morning. And that is that boundaries are for you, not against you. God's boundaries are for you, not against you. See, God puts these boundaries in our lives for a reason. 
He puts them there because God is for us, not against us. The boundaries in our lives are to help us. They're good for us. They're good for him and they're, and they're good for others. They help protect us from harm. They help protect others from harm. They help us know how to honor God and respect him and thus helping us respect and honor others. It's kind of like the idea of loving God and loving neighbors. There are boundaries that help us do this, help us be the people that God is calling us to be, people that only say, oops, I did it again, when we're singing them as lyrics, not when we're describing cycles of boundary pushing in our lives. So remember that boundaries, they are for us, not against us. And so for our our young people here this morning, Next time you're sitting around that dining table waiting for that, that hot, steaming green bean casserole that's just been tickling your taste buds all afternoon, don't, don't even give your parents a reason to say to you, be careful, it's hot. You already know those boundaries. Know your limits and stay within it. Don't reach out and touch it. Just trust that the boundaries your parents have put in place are good for you. And they're good for them so they don't even have to console you after you've done what they asked you not to do. When it comes to screen time, don't give scientists or doctors any more evidence to prove more than they already have that there is such a thing as too much screen time. It leads to behavioral issues, development issues, cognitive issues. When that weekly report goes off on your phone, take a minute and think about it. Maybe start setting some some app limits on your phone so that you can help stay within those boundaries and recognize those boundaries. Stay within the limits. Because it's good for you. It's good for others. And as, as that grows, as you grow and you mature and you start driving as a teenager, respect the boundaries of speed limits. Respect the rules of the road because they're there to protect you and to protect others. And as you start going out on dates and going to parties and places with your friend, honor the curfews, honor the, the rules that have been placed in front of you, the boundaries placed in front of you. And as you, you leave the house and you go off to college and university and you start pushing those boundaries even further, and next thing you know, you're, you're hanging out with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Say, say you get the first base, just stay there. That's a good place to be, a good, healthy place that will respect each other and will respect God. And you'll, you'll thank me later. And as those of us who are now in this adult mode, trying to do our best to balance all those plates, I mean, just don't even give that HR department any reason to call you into their office for a, a confidential meeting on a Monday morning. You know where those healthy boundary lines fall in pleasant places, so honor them. Don't give that debt collector any reason to start punching in your number to let you know that you have once again pushed the limits of your credit card. Don't give that Grand Rapids police officer any reason to pull you over late on a Tuesday night after you've had just the appropriate amount of water hanging out with your friends or whatever you're doing. These boundaries, they are for us. They're not against us. Amen? So as we transition back into a time of praise here this morning, I want to re- leave us with one final thought. And it kind of has to do with this whole title, this idea of there's no flaw too far. You see, we see this in the life of Samson, someone who champions the idea of pushing the limits of the boundaries set in his life to the point where he crosses them and he invites this chaos, this destruction, this suffering into his life. He lives as if the boundaries are against him, not for him. But despite Samson's flaws, 
despite his inability to maintain, to live within the boundaries that God had set for him, you'll see God still uses him. He uses him in mighty, powerful ways for his time. Now, it's going to look a little bit different than the way that God is using you today, but God still shows up in his life, empowering him to do the things that he could not do of his own strength, of his own might, of his own will. Extraordinary, supernatural things. And that same spirit of the Lord that was on Samson during that time, despite his flaws, is the same spirit of the Lord that is upon each and every one of you here this morning too. Despite your flaws, despite your inability to honor those boundaries, to to know the limits and to stay within it, the spirit of the Lord is upon you. Because my friends, there is no flaw too far that God's grace cannot reach. No flaw too far. And this is only possible because of one thing, one word, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the one who gave his life for our life. The one who died on that cross, gave his life as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, going to hell and back, defeating death, conquering the grave and resurrecting and leaving us with a promise where he said, God will pour out the Spirit upon all those who believe in me and accept me and profess Jesus as Lord. So my friends, that's, that's us. And that Spirit of the Lord is now upon us. The one that comforts us the one that encourages us, the one that leads us and guides us, even convicts us when we need help knowing where those boundary lines are. All because of Jesus. We've been given this free gift of God's grace through our faith. And my friends, that is, that is the good news for us today. God's boundaries are for us, not against us. Because he loves us. He has a plan for us that he wants to see done on this worth, on this world. So as we enter in back to, into a time of praise, let's let's stand firm on that foundation of Jesus, of our Lord and Savior, the one who has done it all for us, the one who helps us to have that spirit of the Lord upon us, to do the things that he's calling us to do, to, to be the people that he's calling us to be. Because his foundation is one that will not fail, that will not leave us, but will love us forever. Please join me on your feet. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word here this morning. We thank you for showing us someone like Samson. As much as we call him a hero sometimes, Lord, he made so many mistakes. He was so much like us, Lord. And yet you've got such rich truths to teach us about Samson. That the boundaries you've put in our life, they're, they're good for us. They're not against us. So Lord, we thank you this morning for helping us see those boundaries, for helping us discern where those boundaries are in our lives so that we can honor you with them, so we can honor each other and we can continue growing into the people that you have created us to be. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus, the one who has made it all possible so that we could have your spirit 
Spirit of the Lord living within us at each and every waking moment. God, we're so grateful for you, Lord, that we want to continue singing your praises. We want to continue continue lifting your name above all other names. God, so we give you praise. We give you glory. We give you all the power here. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group, or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.